welcome to The Cusp. I'm Nathan, and joining me today is Colin. G'day. Craig. Hello. And Susie. Hello. And joining us live from Wollongong in Australia is Justin. G'day, g'day. First, we have some emails and feedback from some of our listeners. This one is from, I'm going to say Bede, B-E-D-E, and he's talking about GM-modified mammals. And he understands that most GM-modified mammals do not survive, unsurvivable, that nearly all have to be euthanized, so isn't there a more than fair criticism that this practice is morally dubious? Susie. Mm. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that's true at all. All right, so Susie says no. <laughs> no, um, seriously, so does he have a valid point at all or not? Uh, no, my understanding isn't... Well, it depends what, all, what animal he's talking about. I mean, the, so there's a massive program to, um, mute, or to knock out every single gene in the mouse genome. And not, not all of those are, are lethal mutations, so... No. So you're saying it's not a large percentage of animals? No, that I don't think survive. so. Because no. a lot of our genomes kind of doesn't do much almost. Um, I can look that up um, properly though, okay. and we can and update we, everybody yeah, um, another time. Readdress it next time. Yep. And I guess my question is: is even if most of the genetically modified animals did die, would that then necessarily be a reason to not do it? No. Um, well, it's also so. Okay, so there's sort of two issues. There's knocking out a gene and it being lethal in the embryo, so they don't, they wouldn't, they don't even make it to being a genetically modified animal. And then there's the sort of um, further down the line where, which is what he's sort of saying, where you have to euthanize them. And that's certainly not my understanding. That that if if they if they're going to be lethal, it's usually it's usually really really early on. So, so where I would yeah, yeah, where I would even say they're not. You know, they're not even alive yet. Isn't, isn't it also a part of it that, like at the end of the experiment, so that you don't have these uh, mammals breeding or escaping into the population, they're killed off? Well, so I think this is also one of the, um, possibly one of the public's misunderstandings of what happens to animals in scientific research. So certainly I work with mice and um, I don't take them all home with me at the end of an experiment. <laughs> They they are all euthanized. That's that's exactly what happens to them. So, um, yes. Yeah, so a lot of these animals, they are killed at the end of an experiment. You'd, you'd have to try and make an argument about whether the uh, the animal had some sort of consciousness and feeling that ending its life by euthanizing was actually detrimental to its its being. And and could you make that sort of ethical argument? It's emotional fragility. I mean, to be honest, and I don't know if this is a popular. Uh, or it's going to be a popular point of view or not, but if 99.99% of every genetically modified animal died in, in horrible, painful conditions, I think I'd still be in favour of genetically modifying animals if it provided some sort of a benefit to us, the humans. But one of our ethical responsibilities is of scientists who work with animals is that animals should never get to that stage. Mm. So when there are any signs that something has gone, you know, whether a mutation or an experiment um, is not giving you the answer you expect or if the animals are suffering in some way, then euthanasia is the only thing that can happen. So so there's no... Yeah, there aren't rooms and rooms full of animals and huge, you know, horrific conditions all suffering terribly. I mean, that's just not the way that... That's not the way that science works. I mean, you don't get you don't get good data from animals that are suffering horrendously. This is just no, not good not science. No, exactly. Yeah, so, so that that kind of that sort of question brings lots. Is, is actually about lots of different things, I guess. What he's just raised, cool. she says really uneloquently. Sorry. <laughs> Has anyone ever looked at Ford modified mammals as opposed to just GM? Yes, thank you, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, we've got two things from John. Hi, Nathan. I was listening to you on homeopathy and was reminded of some advice we provided regarding fortune tellers. Uh, Andrew from the New Zealand Association of Rationalists and Humanists has been to legislation.govt.nz and uh, if someone wanted to look that up for me, you could probably tell me exactly what it says. It was about um, entertainment purposes. 
um, yeah. and, and fraudulent use of fortune telling being basically fortune being telling being as real and sort yeah of yeah fortune telling being fraud unless it was uh, for entertainment purposes and the, the key words that John has highlighted for us here is similar powers uh, and he's asking whether homeopathy could be construed as a claim to be supplying potions imbued with powers for monetary reward which is something I think we could probably be looking into doing I don't know if uh, anyone that's listening has any legal expertise and wants to do some research for us um, drop us a note and uh, maybe we can get something going of course I've just noted that the uh, New Zealand government website has got a crappy search on it if you search on fortune you can't find anything of course maybe if anyone wants to let us know their opinions and we'll go over it again uh, next episode sounds like a great idea yeah mm. let's do it the other note he sent me he's read uh, the field I don't know if that's a book or a magazine but he came across a section that purported to explain failed homeopathic effects because certain staff emitted cancelling fields presumably those are the skeptical staff as it's always the skeptics that cancel everything out given that it's all nonsense could we come up with a suitably fancy sounding homeopathic cancellator and then make a show of cancelling the product in a number of stores much fun to be had um, and that is something else that I think we would make a great um, news article if we uh, built a black box with lots of blinking lights on it yep. and uh, Colin was keen on doing this yes I was absolutely keen to get my brother-in-law next door to uh, give us a hand making a box with a, a dial swishy arm uh, noises or various bells and whistles a hell of a lot more technically advanced than uh, I guess a lot of other woo things this reminds me, so I was approached this month by somebody who would like to do a PhD with me, um, who oh, no. would appear want to want to do some research into biophotonic signatures of things, which I think means auras. And he gave me um, a, a, a link to where he'd found all this information. There's basically a group in Germany that that's what they study, and they've got this really sensitive photon detecting equipment that they can measure these signatures. And um, and linked to their website is another, I think possibly German uh, company, who for eight hundred thousand euros will sell you this amazing contraption that looks a bit like um, a dowsing <laughs> rod <laughs> with some lights to help you count your biophotonic. Signatures. Oh, it's hilarious. Well, there is actually a journal of biophotonics that I've just found. Well, yeah, yeah. well, bio, bio, um, biophotonics is what I do. It just means ah, living light. Right. But there are lots of things that are bio, well, bioluminescent. So right. glow worms, fireflies. Mm. There are lots of things who genuinely do it. Right. And but he's this guy, not, not student of mine, potential student right. of mine, um, is... is believes that every so his premise is that everything he thinks it's the dna emits light and so if you damage the dna in some way if you mutate it the signature will be less anyway this this is quite a giggle so we could either buy one of those machines for eight hundred thousand dollars or we could build a little box for 20 bucks with parts from smiths (laughs) uh, with blinking leds on it and this is is my idea we go to the news uh people particularly uh people that we've talked to before that are sympathetic to our side of the story and tell them look we've got this box and we've discovered how skeptics can cancel out magic abilities like homeopathy and we've (laughs) distilled it down and stuck it into this box and and we're going to go around into pharmacies and we're going to cancel everybody's homeopathic medicines and get them to film us doing it I just think it would be fun. That would be hilarious. hilarious. I'm up for that. And really just to prove our point, you know, and then maybe give the homeopathic pills to people and show that it doesn't work anymore. I found a wonderful article called Homeopathy Myths, which is quite hilarious. Myth one, homeopathy... (laughs) 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 Myth one, homeopathy is an unproved science. It ends with, and then it says fact. All the principles of homeopathy are based on sound logic and experimental data. Funny. Uh-huh. You can really put anything on the internet, can't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, anyway, it goes yeah. on and on and on. So that's all the feedback we've had uh, recently. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, we'd love to know about it, because right now we have no idea if there's actually anybody out there at all. 
uh, other than the people that have uh, mentioned something to us or sent us some feedback so go ahead send us some feedback now one thing we've been forgetting to do is we've been meeting the hosts and we haven't met Colin yet so it's Colin's turn to introduce himself to everybody hey, g'day. Um, I've only just gotten into this whole skeptic thing fairly recently uh, all sort of percolated from getting an iPod uh, for my was it uh, birthday not this year but last year and uh, got introduced to the world of podcasts uh, through uh, SGU started there and then found Skeptoid and various other podcasts that have been mentioned and uh, yeah and then got involved with uh, Skeptics in the Pub here in Auckland and uh, yeah I've actually really really enjoyed everything um, I've uh, never been a believer I've always uh, enjoyed science and uh, have just recently chucked in my old job at uh, a multinational biotech company to uh, go and get my teaching diploma. So I've uh, recently just enrolled at Auckland. I'll be uh, going there next year and we'll be uh, learning how to teach secondary science, bio and uh, chemistry. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's quite a change in direction, considering I started work at uh, Coca-Cola a few years ago, moving uh, slowly up the chain and uh, onto what I thought was bigger and better things. But uh, having the whole sceptical community and uh, science unlocked to me again uh, just really uh, reignited my passion for it. And so uh, I've decided to head off in the direction where I can try and encourage other people to get excited about it as well. Well, I have to say that is absolutely phenomenal because there's one thing we need as educators who are... Educated. <laughs> not, not just educated, of course, but um, sceptical about and able to put forth some ideas about critical thinking and not just... Um, I don't know what school's like these days, but back in my day it was very much... Um, Memorize your periodic table, and this is why this is what happens, and this is why. But very little in the t in way of how to think about things scientifically. The cool thing now is that, uh, as one of the ladies at the information evening I went to, is that the kids we're teaching now have never known life without cell phones or yeah. Google. Yeah. And so the whole classroom thing is a lot uh, different to what it was in our day. It's no longer. Um, writing down what teacher writes with the chalk uh, or in my day when they shifted from chalk to whiteboards and, and, and markers um, now it's you know bring it up on the laptop and throw it on the projector and you know the kids are taking photos with their phones putting assignments together on their iPods they're um, using multimedia a lot more than uh, I guess my teachers ever dreamed that you could do with with information like that but are they learning any better <laughs> we'll have to see we'll have to see i think it's all a huge mistake colin i think uh the old ways were much much better <laughs> no really it would be interesting to see how how um more effective it is because um i i guess i'm a bit worried about the play the possible plagiarism aspect of just being able to you know type something to google and just um you know skim off the top three results and go from there yes i i think it takes a lot of discipline um uh, from probably from parents actually to make sure that their children are actually making sure that they read the articles and digest them and don't just take the first thing they find yeah yeah, and give them spot quizzes when they know they don't have their phones on, in their hands. <laughs> yeah, correct. That's correct. One of the things that gets me about the, the technology in schools these days is the number of kids that I deal with in the library. I work in the library, if anyone's listened to the first episode. And I get a lot of kids in after school doing their homework or what have you. And the number of kids that still don't know how to use a computer efficiently. Um, I mean... T take for example someone wants to sign up for Facebook and they'll type Facebook login into Google and do a search for it and I sort of say well, why don't you just put that in the um, in the address bar and control enter or facebook.com and I'm like huh? what? Yep, the address bar is dead yeah it's, it's bizarre and Hotmail, Hotmail, you know people will search for Hotmail and then click on it rather than just typing Hotmail 
into the into the dress bar. My kids do the same. Oh, I guess it's. Oh, and so does Susan. <laughs> <laughs> That's see. This is where they're getting it from. It's 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 the parents and the teachers who who are teaching the kids, presumably. And uh, I'm gone off on a huge huge um, digression, but that's okay. Okay, thank you, Colin. Welcome to the podcast. No worries. Welcome. And we've got a few news items. Uh, we'll try and keep it brief this week. The one I wanted to do, which I think is the most interesting, is this light from sound. And what it is, I'm going to try and summarise this as best I can. Semiconductor devices could one day convert sound into light at terahertz frequencies a radiation range that can detect skin cancers before they are visible on the surface. Such light could also provide a privacy-protecting alternative to naked body scanners in airports. And don't ask me what a naked body scanner is in airports, but it sounds sexy. Oh, those, <laughs> um, those ones that they were going to um, use in the US where it basically sees through your clothes. They've started and, using them, haven't they? Oh, I'm not too mm, sure. Yeah. But yeah, mm. like uh, Total Recall. But Yeah, 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 but it, it's got the gun and it's got the... Yeah, exactly. Um, which effectively is what this radiation does. Uh, it occupies the region between infrared and microwave frequencies. Sub-millimeter long waves can penetrate fabrics and plastics, but they reflect off explosives and metallic weapons in a characteristic way that can be used to detect objects hidden beneath uh, clothing without generating a privacy-compromising image. So it's exactly like Total Recall, is the person will walk through and you'll get a glowing green thing that says you're carrying a gun or um, you have some explosives on you. And what they've got basically is a different way of x-raying people. Um, I don't know if it's less harmful or whatever, but what was really impressive about this is that they're converting sound directly into light. So they've got um, a crystal composed of alternating layers of two semiconductors is hit by sound waves with a frequency of about 60 gigahertz. When the high frequency sound hits the crystal, it sets in motion a compression wave that propagates through the crystal, trapping the semiconductors free electrons in the wave troughs and sweeping them along. So effectively they're bombarding these crystals with the sound waves and the, the electrons are freed from the troughs and start oscillating around the latter structure. It's a little bit like sounds a bit like a laser and they're actually talking about um, such a device would require a suitably intense source of sound waves such as a SASER the acoustic equivalent of a laser um, yeah so I just thought that was really really interesting and kind of high-tech sci-fi sort of level of stuff so if it can do what it promises should be very very interesting to see well I have to say though at the discos back in the 1970s I had a sound like <laughs> <laughs> you know the music made the lights <laughs> thank you Craig we appreciate that feedback there so I've got two New Zealand stories call this our Woo Zealand segment because we haven't done that for a while bakery whispers blamed on Chinese ghost Baker Maurice Heiner has been working alongside what may be the ghost of a Chinese immigrant who hanged himself in 1891 on the site of what is now Blank's Bakery on Blank Street, Blank Mouth, because I'm not going to give this guy publicity. Uh, the tragic tale of a blah, 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 blah. This guy has been bothered by mysterious voices, creeping shadows, and things going bump. When I was working on my own in the morning, I would see shadows going around the bakery and ovens and that. Piner said. Sometimes you could hear banging and crashing upstairs and sometimes you can hear whispering and talking in the bakery. Um, you look around and there's no one there. Blah blah. However, a greymouth tourist operator believes he can shed some light on the mystery. Paul Blank, manager of Blank Blank Adventures, has been researching a new tourist attraction where visitors are guided around the town by an audio device that uses GPS positioning to tell stories as they enter different areas. <laughs> it sounds like the article's about to take this radical turn into, into a sceptical point of view. But the next, pre next paragraph is, During his research, Shram came across the tale of Ah Sing, a Chinese... A-H-S-H-I-N-G, 
a Chinese miner who hanged himself in the boarding house that used to stand on the site of the Greason Street Bakery. I didn't want to say that. On the site of the Blank Street Bakery. So, no, this chap thinks he's figured out where the ghost came from. So he's promoting a new tourist attraction of... His deal is visitors are guided around the town by an audio device that uses GPS to tell stories as they enter different areas. So No doubt they get close to the bakery and they get told the story. And then they go in and buy a pie. A pie. That's shocker. Mind you, along those lines, uh, the wife was at a party the other night and a friend of hers said that uh, their house was haunted and my wife was very uh, sceptical about it and she's like, okay, show me. She said, Radio, come in, come here in, in, in the daughter's room. And uh, she said, okay. She said, right, lie down on the bed. Cool. And she turned the light off and said, right, just wait. And so wife just waited and waited and waited. And they've got fluoro lights in their house. Uh, uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, the light flashed. Right. Yeah. And it's a bit of static discharge or something, but I've seen it before. And I think it's pretty funky, but to people that are, I guess, that way inclined, it's a ghost. There's a glowing orb in their uh, house, in the room, and uh, yeah. It's, and it's to do with the way compact fluorescents work, that there's some leakage current that eventually there's enough build-up of um, charge that actually discharges, there's enough potential to discharge yes. a brief flash of light, yeah. and, and that's, that's what causes it, and yeah. all... Contract fluorescent tubes do that, and of course, there's that thing of you know, sufficiently advanced technology will appear as though it's magic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or or a ghost. Where sufficiently advanced is, of course, a relative term, depending <laughs> on who you're dealing with. That's exactly right. But that is a classic example of somebody saying, "Oh, here's something I don't understand. Yep. Therefore, houses haunted. Yep. They're, they're closing their mind to any yep. other." And that's a leap that most people, you know, these kinds of people seem to make all too quickly, isn't it? It's interesting that they they just, you know, go for that, you know. I guess it's a seductive explanation. There must be something about it. And lots of people believe it, so it must be true. That's it. And it's a great way to get women to lie down. (laughs) 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 Well done. And the other New Zealand uh, article this week was uh, Ghostbusters to stake out old jail. Ghostly goings-on, jailhouse hostel manager Taz Reeves and paranormal investigator Anton Hayrick are on the case at a, on the case at a Christchurch hostel. A spooky present is haunting Christchurch jailhouse hostel. Staff and guests say they've seen apparitions and heard voices at the former Eddington prison site. Blah, 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 blah. Presence through the building and something tugging at her T-shirt. Energy has changed, blah, blah. <laughs> well, they've got a new that's, power company. That's, that's ghost energy. And, of course, you've got your standard, and there's a picture of um, the ghost investigator standing around with his... Um, E-meter. E-meter. No, not, not E-meter. I was going to say E-meter. His EM meter and a parabolic microphone and headphones and the usual guff. And, of course, he's just going to wander around and say, ooh, that's mysterious, and call it an investigation. I've got some more Woo Zealand. So my first is a story from the Bay Chronicle. Um, Northland says no to fluoridation. Mm. Um, so basically, public water supplies in Kaitaia and Kaikoui um, are probably going to remain unfluoridated after a postal survey of 5,000 households basically gave a resounding no so they actually only had 816 replies, and probably it looks like about two-thirds of them said no, and a third of them said yes. Um, very, very sad. The spokesman of the Fluoride Action Network is obviously delighted that um, Kaitai and Kaikoui are rejecting this illegal medical experiment. Um, they, they, it was interesting because the, um, the write-up in the Bay Chronicle had some um, comments from dentists dentists who are the ones who would who would no but no no who are saying this is really sad news for northland because you know 
And yet, when a dentist stops and says that, you kind of have to think about it because the dentists are the ones who will benefit from Northland not yeah. being, you know, mm -hmm. fluoridated. Yeah. They're the ones who are going to get all the kids with all their cavities and stuff. But yeah. even they are saying this is the best way, the most cost-effective way to to um, to combat tooth decay. So, you know, if I think if they if there really was if it really was an illegal medical experiment, you know, they'd be the first in there. Anyway. And then I have to talk about the Ponsonby news. Okay. Anyone who knows me will know that um, I start ranting usually about a day after it arrives in my <laughs> post box. And I was gonna say that this Ponsonby news is not a newsletter. This is a magazine. It's it's huge. It's bound and it's very, very professional. It's 147 pages of glossy, of glossy, glossy um, adverts, advertorials, all sorts of stuff. But, but I, I haven't actually gone through it and seen how much woo is in it, but it's like two-thirds woo. So I've been ranting and raving about this for ever since I moved to the area. And um, I decided this month I was going to do something about it. So this arrived on my doorstep and I contacted the editor to say basically how what how is this stuff um, paid for? So for instance, the one I'll talk about today um, is a um, an article called Ponsonby People and Their Pets, Alternative Ways of Healing Pets. So it's kind of, it's a full page. I mean, this is an A4 booklet. Um, it's a full page article, um, has homeopathy, raw food, acupuncture, hydrotherapy, reiki, and holistic healing and animal communication. Mm. And then next to it is um, basically an advert for all of the different things. Right. So it's not labeled as an advertorial. And so I asked the editor, basically, how was this paid for? He didn't answer that. Well, he answered my email, but he didn't answer my question. Um, so I basically then was sort of trying to say that um, they don't, they seem to not give two sides to every story. So would they let me comment? And in fact, so what I was trying to do was get a skeptic's yeah, um, column. column. Um, his reply was hilarious, that basically they have a waiting list for columnists. He's not going to put me on the waiting list because he doesn't know my style of writing, uh, which will be sceptical. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and that basically the place to write in was to the letters to the editor. So I have written a letter to the editor purely about the homeopathy homeopathy I could I could have sent him a hundred but anyway we'll, we'll start with one and see if he actually publishes the next month yes yeah, so that's been my thing this 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 month has been to try and get um, a, a skeptics column in the in the Ponsby news alas um, it has been rejected and I have been told by the editor that um, they've had lots of positive feedback and he and many of his readers would uh, will take take um, objection to the fact that I've called his his um, newsletter um, one-sided, which is hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Yeah. So I'm, they shouldn't I, call it bogus. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to. I just want to tell. I want to show, um, read to people just um, this one bit that I think is hilarious. Um, so it's in the right. The Reiki. Is that how you pronounce it? Reiki. 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 Okay. So it's an ancient Japanese healing system, safe and non-invasive. So this woman, <laughs> who whose name we won't give. Um, basically does Reiki on animals. Um, so she introduces herself to the animal and strikes up a rapport. She then puts her hands gently on, onto it, allowing the energy to flow while stroking it slowly over the entire body. Now this is the hilarious bit. As cats are more aloof, she often keeps a slight distance from them. They sit on their owner's laps or by themselves. Animals take as much energy as they need from a session and walk away relaxed and calmer when they have had enough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, I thought that was hilarious. Then the holistic lady um, could do can do distance healing by phone or email. Or oh, so yeah. <laughs> 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 internet. You pay me fifty dollars an hour and I'll sit on the phone to you and heal your pet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's well, hilarious. Well, this is this is Ponsonby, they can afford to... But it's crazy. I mean, I live there and I, I don't want to be this guff. Um, anyway, so I shall be writing to them every month. Possibly more than one letter. Stuffed in your letter it's free. Everybody gets it. And, and every month it drives me more and more insane. You know, you don't have to read it every month. You could just throw it straight in the bin. I know, I know. But somehow I'll call that my... Um, which is, it's not sadomasochist, the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sadomasochist. Yeah, that one. Um, that, that, yeah. That's me. Yeah, it's like a really ugly person and you just can't help but stare. <laughs> and it's bad. And it's my goiter, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> you can't help but look.
Okay, so I think that one <laughs> one article we have to talk about, because this is the anti-Woo Zealand, um, is this month's North and South, which has to be applauded for its um, case for vaccination, Hoorah. which is uh, on the front page, um, and a, a very big uh, article inside about vaccination, starting with the little girl who... Um, got meningitis I think she ended up being very sick and had to have arms and legs amputated and it's a little bit about her story and then a bit about um, uh, people some people who are vaccinating some parents who aren't so there's a couple of points I want to make about this first the editorial um, Virginia Larson has got to be applauded because she basically makes a point of saying that North and South make no apology this month for championing championing Childhood vaccinations as a public good. We did not seek out the extreme anti-immunisation campaigners for balance because their arguments aren't balanced. And they've already done enough damage. Fantastic work. Wow. Really well done. She also talks in that editorial about uh, how journalists aren't up to date with science and don't, aren't familiar with the scientific method. And, and as a result, they come across with this false balance. Yeah, where everyone gets an equal say, even the even the cracks and the nut jobs. So there's there's a couple of other points I want to make about the article. One of which was um, basically uh, talk there in an interview with one parent. This parent basically saying that um, that her GP has no doubts about the importance of immunisation, but her chiropractor is strongly <laughs> against it. And her comment is, why should his opinion have any less validity? And that just shows you what ooh, we were ooh, up ooh, against. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> And I guess a lot is made of the fact that people maybe want uh, want choice. Like there's quite a few parents interviewed who basically say they want to have the choice of which vaccine. You know, they're not anti-vaccination, but they want the choice of which vaccines that they can have. Right. And I think this this my one um, my one problem with the article is it doesn't tell you enough about herd immunity and how important herd immunity is, uh, yeah, and that that vaccination is not just about protecting your child. It's about maintaining a level of herd immunity that these these diseases can't take a hold in your community. Specifically for the children that can't be vaccinated for whatever legitimate reasons. And and it's not. In fact, one of the I think one of the health ministers or something who's interviewed, you know, says that if if this is the only way we're going to get people to immunise to go to this. Um, individualized programs I mean they're just missing the point and it's really sad so my only criticism would be that they didn't make that strong enough but otherwise a fantastic article Good. really well pleased with North and South yeah can we do a couple of signs <coughs> yep. so I yep. think the one big story over the last couple of weeks has got to be the synthetic synthetic life, synthetic life. Oh, absolutely Go so um, every mm. scientist's favorite in inverted commas scientist Craig Vent Venter, who we call Darth Venter. Ah. Um, so basically what they have done is um, they've made a synthetic genome. So they've basically put together a, um, a genome on a computer. They have then synthesized the DNA um, using these rather fancy machines, put it all together and then put it inside um, a cell. So essentially taken a cell, a bacterial cell, removed its DNA, put this DNA inside and then essentially used that to boot up, they call it, um, this new cell. And essentially now the new cell is running entirely off the synthetic um, DNA. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the synthetic DNA has been around for a while and it's been, the difficulty has been to make something so big to put uh, it yeah. together. Now, when they say synthetic DNA, they haven't actually stitched together the A the ADDD. They've taken snippets from other people. No, 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 no. no they have entirely synthesised it. It's absolutely amazing. Where I used to work, um, they made DNA primers, oligonucleotides, up to which is lengths of DNA. I think up to about forty-five or forty-six bases long. That would that would take I think around sort of ten hours. Wow. Mm. Um, and basically it was four jars of A, G, T and C and it would um, dose the first one, it would dose the second one and it would just automatically link on to the last one. It's dose beautiful. The next one. It's, it's so elegant. And yeah, really, absolutely. I mean, synthetic DNA has been around for a long time, but it's been in small in small yeah. bits. So what so they've done is clearly, yeah, sequence. they've put yep. it all together. It's it's massive. And it's it's a genome. And it's functional. Does yep, does does what it says on, on the tin. Where is your God now? <laughs> so the um the two comments that have come out of it have basically been you know the obvious that um craig is playing god 
uh, which <laughs> is, what I've wondered how you would answer being an atheist. <laughs> well, the, the thing that um, about that comment is it comes across as pejorative, like playing God is automatically a bad thing. Yeah. Well, you're the one that believes in a God, you know, we don't care. So my favourite comment was um, in, uh, I think it was in the New Zealand Herald, somebody wrote in saying that basically this was evidence for an intelligent designer because here is an intelligent designer and he has designed it. And so um, so all I want to know is, are they suggesting that Craig Ventner is God? Is God? Absolutely. <laughs> Which is very scary. And I, but I will leave with um, a quote from Professor Steve Jones, who's a geneticist from um, UCL, who basically said, you know, he's made a monumental achievement, blah, 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 blah. Having said that, though, the man is clearly a bit of a prick and one with a serial addiction to publicity, which is basically how most scientists feel about him. <laughs> so oh, I will leave with that. So we don't. Like we need people, people like that. Good on him, though. Yeah. It's, well, I guess the problem everybody in academia has with him. So this man started his controversy with being um, the alternative to the massive um, public. Um, genome project so he wanted to he was going to be first to um to sequence the human genome and he was going to patent it ah, and the ah. problem we have with him is that he patents everything so his um research he has his own research institute and he's had 600 million dollars worth of um sponsorship from exxon Mobil. so i mean this guy he works for industry that's how he gets he he doesn't go to research councils he just goes straight to the people who have the money right. and he you know and they Makes all want ownership of all this yeah. stuff yeah. and i i and many scientists like me have a huge problem with this because they are not you know i mean he's synthesizing stuff but you know they 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 this is nature a lot of these things that they're doing they're taking they're taking the sequences of genes that are that exist and put them together Which and was so my we have a big problem point, with yeah, patenting they have used existing genomes they're not, they're not making, yes. it making it up by themselves no. they're actually they're copying something else but yes. they are but oh, they've yeah. made yeah. this yes. 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 Okay. yes okay yeah synthetic but it's based on i mean we know yeah. you know so we know what protein sequences you need to make an enzyme that will do right. this kind of function or yeah. that kind of function they're not making all that up from scratch they're kind of stealing them from the sea i mean yeah. he had this massive program where he went around in a big boat called the sorcerer 2 just basically taking loads of microorganisms from the sea um, and what they were looking for was novel enzymes things that will do stuff that we you know like exxon mobile will be interested in i mean this, like, this is what for they're looking example, for um, something that can Oil. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which speaking okay. speaking of that story, um, the one interesting thing um, I've read about that, um, if I can find it, is that the the only the things that are going to be doing well out of the oil spill are the bacteria, oh. microorganisms, because there will be there will be ones that will be evolving to to degrade stuff and they'll be starting to live on this. Awesome. So yeah, they're going to do well. Cool. Everything okay. else might be dead. I also have a problem with it, Susie. There's an equivalent con concept, I guess, in software engineering, closed source versus open source, and, and that applies, I suppose, more to, you know, you could make something up from scratch in software and, and still would want to um, share it with the general public, you know, to, to improve its quality. And so I have a problem with that sort of thing too, the, the gobbling up of um, intellectual property, particularly, as you say, if it's sourced um, initially from nature anyway. It's kind of the Monty Burns effect, isn't it? Yes, and they just and the, the problem is they're done by such... You know, his bedfellows are such big, aggressive companies. It's yeah. not automatically a bad thing. Well, I think they stifle. I mean, mm. these kind of patents and stuff, it stifles. Mm. Perhaps there's a, um, a case to be made then that if anything that already exists in nature is by definition open source. And if you, yes. and if you base your work off that and your work has to be licensed yep. under the same open source license. I'll read just a quick one. Okay. Uh, the Airborne Telescope uh, makes its first observations. Uh, NASA has uh, gotten its SOFIA uh, 747 up and running, uh, Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy. This is basically going to be a jumbo jet with a six meter square hole in the side of it. Uh, they're going to be flying at about 12k up, um, there's this uh, sliding roof that uh, pulls back and exposes a two and a half metre optical dish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically it's going to be flying above what they reckon is 99% of the water vapour, which uh, absorbs most of the infrared radiation that's been coming from outer space towards us. So uh, yeah, they've basically um, put a lot of time and effort into this. And the really cool thing about it 
uh, even though it is mounted on the uh, back of a plane, is that um, all of the technology in it can be updated as the uh, technology arises. So basically they can fly a state-of-the-art uh, telescope, basically the, the day it rolls off the production line, unlike... Because they're putting it up each time they want to use it, they're yeah, flying it up there. Absolutely, yeah. they reckon it's going to be flying for the next 20 years, huh. uh, a couple times a week, basically just uh, taking photos of what we've uh, been looking at, but in a different wavelength. Um, another cool thing about it is that... Uh, like Hubble being uh, very specialised optics, they require uh, quite a bit of cooling. Um, this, uh, the coolant on this can be recharged when the plane lands, unlike having to uh, basically send up uh, another shuttle, which will be you know, being decommissioned shortly, um, to Hubble uh, for a, a repair mission. These guys can just land the plane, do whatever they need to. You know, if they, if they uh, delay going up, on Wednesday, fine, they'll go up Thursday once everything's been fixed and repaired and, and is working properly. So, uh, yeah, it seems they'll be making a lot more and bigger jumps in this sort of um, astronomy, which is really good to hear. That's interesting. That's a clever idea. So, so this is optical astronomy? Yes. Right. Okay. Basically, they just want to get out of all the water vapour in the atmosphere, mm. and so that's why they're flying so high. But it is a very impressive hole in the side of a plane. <laughs> which is very disconcerting. If you're going to have a hole, it may as well be impressive. Yeah. yeah. So is the back of the plane pressurised then, or is it, is it devoid of human life? Is, uh, uh, this portion where the um, optics are is empty, right? and there's uh, special reinforced bulkheads, basically, so the plane doesn't vibrate and tear itself to pieces. <laughs> I would have hated to see the testing <laughs> and the, the poor guys that had to fly the plane when they opened it the first time. But um, yeah, <laughs> you'd be hoping. But yeah, it's very impressive. Anything else? Do you want to do the nano uh, nano foods? Really nano foods. Do, do you want to do the nano All right. foods? Okay. Well, I can do it really, really quickly. Um, okay. So this is basically they're saying might be the next food breakthrough. So. Um, Essentially what it is, is um, to uh, play with the food, play with food, but on the nano scale. So um, the n many foods have natural nanostructures, and it's basically m messing with these nanostructures. So um, a quick example would be, um, oh, I thought the ice cream one was the best okay, one. The ice cream one so um, in diet versions of many emulsion-based foods, such as mayonnaise, about half of the fat content is replaced with water, making them less satisfyingly creamy. One alternative is to hide the extra water as nano droplets within each drop of oil so that the mouth experiences less water and more creamy fat. This way, all the low-fat versions will actually taste more like the regular versions. But they're basically suggesting that they, um, they're looking at encapsulating vitamins, minerals, and omega-3 fatty acids, which is actually makes me laugh because most of these things aren't necessary anyway. Well, not necessary in the yeah. extra portions that you get them. Um, but it's also about, yeah, making salty food that hasn't actually got as much salt in it. Yeah, but what's, what's very interesting is that lots of the big food manufacturers are being very quiet. They're not saying what foods they have in development. They're, it's well, almost like they're not sure how the public's going to take well, this. Well, that or they're trying to protect their um, their property. And I mean, you might as well ask why um, the colonel doesn't tell everyone his, his recipe for 11 herbs and spices. Or well, the recipe for Coke. And will there be organic versions of these? <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> now it's time for our interview today. Justin, the skip theist. Justin, welcome to the cusp. Thank you very much. Can I just say that I'm a, a natural quantum holistic energy therapist. I, I deal in I deal in chakra and uh, nano quanta. <laughs> no, that's actually um, that's actually not true. I am a skeptic, um, self-identified, I suppose. I've ha um, like Colin, haven't really ever been a believer, but uh, fairly recently, you know, self-identified as a skeptic, also through the SGU and Skeptoid and, and podcasts like that. <clears throat> and podcasts like anything else? Oh, like uh, this is one. It's uh, it's completely superfluous. No, um, oh, the, yeah, uh, completely unnecessary. Skeptical podcast. They they rock the house. I've heard good things about that one. Anyway, sorry, carry on. 
Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm pro-science. I have a, a computer science degree. Um, I'm into artificial life, um, astronomy, uh, you name it, really. Um, to give you an idea, I, I make my son's jelly using a magnetic stirrer. I run the Wollongong Skeptic Society, I uh, formed that a couple of months back, and uh, last uh, last time we had Richard Saunders and co. come down to present, and Dr. Rachie, which was really nice, and then uh, actually the, that was the one before last, the last one we were meant to go up to Mind Body Wallet, but uh, unfortunately I, I was ill and couldn't go, um, but uh, that, that's always a lot of fun to, to go there and query them on their on their claims. Yes, and I'd like to try and make you know scepticism a bit sexier. I mean, even the word is a little little um, you know it sounds like septic or or scum or scurvy. So, what is it that you do for a job? I'm a software engineer by trade. I'm into um, yeah, I'm into music and a few other things. So, tell us about your YouTube videos. Sure. Um, for reasons that I cannot recall, um, I, I started making these things. Um, the the skeptic uh, is the reference, basically, to the combination of igtheism and skepticism. I'm, I'm obviously an atheist, but uh, I'm also an igtheist, and I'm identified with that because it, uh, it, it's, it seeks to kind of nail down the definition of what's meant by God before any debates take place uh, as to whether it exists and um, and indeed the definition of existence needs to be clarified as well and I found that a very philosophically satisfying position to take I have a master's in philosophy and uh, so I do like to um, I, I like to think and so um, it's kind of went from there so the first one was basically an introduction to scepticism and atheism, and then I did one on um, homeopathy and logical fallacies and that was quite popular and then um, I did a few others. I've done six all up. I'm, I'm itching to do the seventh, which will be the joy of science. But um, I've become very busy as of late. But um, fairly soon I'm going to uh, the United States, and I'm pretty sure I'll be able to make some of that episode from a, you know, really um, a nice kind of science centre over there in San Francisco. So that'll be the next episode. Uh, and you know, there's some fairly esoteric ones. There's one on uh, igtheism and uh, entheism. So I uh, thought, well, if, you know, if, if there is some sort of um, larger than us being out there, the only only plausible thing I can see is that we're inside some sort of petri dish and that it's you know experimenting on us. And you know, like good scientists, we should probably not try and um, pollute the experiment by trying to you know be aware of its existence. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So just to go back really, really quickly, um, you said igtheism, and I think you kind of explained it as yeah. you go. Because just clarify what it is exactly you mean by igtheism. Sure. Well, yeah, there's agnosticism and igtheism, and as far as I'm aware, they're fairly interchangeable. But it's the, it's I guess it's the position that before any sort of meaningful debate can take place uh, as to whether God exists, we must first define what's meant by the term God. So God, obviously, for um, you know fire and brimstone. Uh, Young Earth creationist is an entirely different matter from a, you know, a, a feel good the the universe is God or you know love is God kind of uh, take Deepak Chopra. Um, or, or indeed, um, you know, God is a concept. Um, so you know, and I, I I think it's it's like skepticism. It's a kind of a whoa 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 hang on here kind of thing. You know, before we jump into this thing and start hurling knives at each other, let's um let's just slow down and actually clarify the terms. And of course that that can then apply to just about any term that you that you'd want to name. For example, faith or belief or trust. I mean, one person's faith is another person's belief, and and so forth. Yeah. So as I say, yeah, it really appeals to me. But ichthyism is a, it, um, specifically pertains to the existence of supernatural deities. You know, and defining what's meant by that term. You could almost say that ichthyism, therefore, is sort of refined pedanticism. Pedantry. Sorry, refined pedantry. I guess so, yeah, for sure, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, un- unlike defining, you know, who's the best um, Star Trek captain, um, defining what's meant by God is, is an issue that's very close to many people's hearts. And I did read your article, Nathan, on Atheism Matters, by the way, and I thought it was very good. And, and uh, I am aware, of course, in the sceptical community, there is a, I wouldn't call it a schism, but there is a, there is a definite, um, you know, uh, differentiation, a necessary one between uh, scepticism and atheism. And indeed, when I formed the Wollongong Skeptic Society, the first person who joined up, was their name was Atheist, atheist Number One. And I said, look, if you want to have an atheist group, go and form one. But um, by the same token, uh, you know, and I know not all atheists are sceptics and vice versa, but I think, to, to my mind anyway, atheism is a, sort of a, the application of scepticism to, um, to the question of uh, supernatural deities. And so both of those are very appealing. I find it very hard to separate them, actually. So that's, therefore, it's the sceptic, not the, you know, the sceptic or the atheist. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, so it's a lot of fun to do the show. As I say, I haven't done one for quite a while. I'm very keen to do the next one. I think I've got to up the bar somewhat. Um, uh, Freethinker on, on YouTube uh, gave me a bit of a bump uh, about a week ago, and uh, my last one, which was um, Positive Atheism, uh, got quite a few views, and so I, I feel like I owe the YouTube public um, a higher quality next episode, so that's, that's what I'll be up to. I have to say, though, the, the episodes I've seen have been very well produced uh, and well thought out, I thought. Thank you. It's uh, it's all done in post. I have to say, <laughs> there's no script. I just I just ramble for maybe an hour and then I just dilute that down into ten minutes. So uh, that that might be the explanation there. But funny you could do that with real life. Sorry, that's just my self-deprecating Aussie humour coming out. Just ignore that. In in your videos that I've seen, you kind of make a uh, a fairly big deal of not um, revealing sort of too much about yourself. Is is that purely because you think that the ideas matter rather than the person who... Who's Do you mean the little the... bit at the start where I say, who am I, that's irrelevant? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, well, uh, if you'll notice, though, the next 30 seconds I make a very big deal of myself by <laughs> uh, showing all the sorts of things I get up to. But no, that, that is, that's definitely on purpose. Um, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, uh, uh, great minds discuss ideas, uh, average minds discuss events, and simple minds discuss people. And so... I think that's the that's the impetus for that sort of statement up front, uh, and also I guess I mean look it's a logical fallacy to say that just because you know a person is quote unquote someone that therefore their opinion carries any more weight than the person on the street. But I am I'm not naive you know I'm aware that uh, of this sort of well, who is this joker kind of factor, and so I kind of get that out of the way at the start and say look in a sense it doesn't matter what I, you know, who I am, but if, if you're interested in the flavour of the sort of person I am, you know, this is what I like. I do, you know, music and animation and that, that kind of thing. Um, just to, it's, it's meant to be the a seductive protein coat on the viral meme of the main message of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Lovely. So how, how many people have you got coming on to um, your Wollongong Skeptics? Um, it does vary. It's sort of it's growing every month. Um, it's never more than twenty or so. Um, in fact, twenty would be the the upper end end of it. I'm, I must admit, I'm finding it hard to please everyone because, um, to be honest with you, I just like sitting around shooting the breeze, having a coffee and just chatting about issues. There is, of course, the need for some sort of activism in many people's minds. And, you know, my, my personal mission is to rid um, my local uh, town of ear, ear candles. So I'm all for the activism. Um, and then other people are, are keener for a more structured agenda, uh, you know, news at the start and, and, and uh, everyone gets a turn to speak and all that sort of thing. And to be honest with you, it's the first thing of this nature I've ever organised. And so I'm, I, I have been winging it up till now. Um, um, the meeting before last, we did actually book out a room, so it's it's kind of getting a bit more serious uh, in in that sense. Uh, we've also hooked up with the Wollongong uh, Secular Society as well, in terms of a lot of those guys joining the the group. So to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure where it will go from here. I think the most important thing is that people do get a forum to get together and just discuss ideas and uh, my own approach to it is I'm into the um, the spanner if you will I'm into the toolkit you know the, the knowledge of logical fallacies the identification of them um, you know identification of um, I guess separating uh, arguments that are just matters of style and, and preference and taste from those that are more logically grounded uh, so that that's my particular um, uh, you know interest in it. But other people, of course, like to turn up and 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 really hammer on one particular issue that's in in the news or that's particularly um, you know that they've got an investment in in terms of how it applies to them. And um, at the risk of you know sort of I guess uh, shirking my responsibilities, I like to be more abstract. I like to sort of pull back on the situation and and kind of you know tease apart the issues and you know in a in a traditional traditional uh, goatee-stroking philosophy. <laughs> so, what's your favourite logical fallacy? Favourite? Uh, one I like to hate the most, or the one... Well, both. Uh, least, think. Your least favourite, yeah, and the um, one that you like talking about the most. Least favourite? Oh, that's, that's a hard question to answer, but I, w I will say that the straw man, I think, infuriates me the most, because... Um, you can kind of get into this hall of mirrors of straw men because someone will straw man you, uh, or just say, you know, d um, discussion, uh, discuss or A and discuss or B are having a discussion, and and the, the first person, you know, does a straw man. They accuse the other person of uh, arguing something that that, that they're not. Um, it can kind of spiral out of control from that point on because the 
the second person then says, you know, well, I wasn't saying that. Um, and you know, I don't know, that, that seems to be the one that crops up the most. And again, that's where the ichthyism comes in, to my mind, the, the careful um, consideration of what is actually being said. Uh, so, yes, st- straw men do give me the the straws a little bit. Um, uh, look, you know, I guess there's a continuum from the playground, which would be ad hominem, you know, you know, no, no, you're, you're stupid, you know, that's, that's got to be the bottom of the barrel. Um, but I guess, I guess another one that I really don't like is the argument from ignorance or argument from personal incredulity, um, just because, you know, a person can't wrap their mind around something which is already understood. I mean, that's, that's the real tragedy, you know, in, in many cases, stuff that's been discovered many hundreds of years ago, uh, i.e. flat earthers, I'm, I'm talking to you. Um, but also, the, the, you know, things that are sort of more on the cutting edge, like I'm very interested in how the first replicators came into being on the planet. And so that, that does require a lot of imagination. You know, it's, it's not the sort of thing we can find a great deal of evidence for. Star Trek replicators or Stargate replicators? Sorry, no. <laughs> I'm talking about um, pre-RNA DNA replicators. So maybe the, the, the you know as Dawkins mentions um, the the ceramic replicators that might have um, given rise to the first fully autonomous uh, replicators. It's actually something similar to what I think Lawrence Krauss is doing at the moment with his origins. Yeah, um, finding about the origins of Indeed. life and what have you. Absolutely. And I must say I heard that the other day and I thought, gee whiz, I've got to I've got to follow Lawrence. Or was that the one before last that uh, that interview? I think it was but, the last. Um, yeah, episode, he's, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he is. And he came over, of course. That's um, how we got to meet with him. He was over here doing a talk, and it was it was absolutely phenomenal. It was a great, great talk. Yeah, I mean that that stuff is so is so cool. You know, it's just really really interesting. And um, so, but it requires a lot of not only knowledge of how things can happen that we can replicate now, if you'll pardon the pun, reproduce. I mean, yeah. Uh, but also, just um, yeah, it's it sort of almost requires requires some creativity. So yeah, the argument from ignorance and argument from personal incredulity, they they get up my nose quite a bit. Okay, and um, we haven't actually been asking everybody this, but we've been asking a lot. What's your star sign? <laughs> Whatever you want it to be. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I am a uh, apparently I'm a Sagittarius, and all my life I've been told that you know I'm creative and everything. And so I, I think I think astrology is uh, it's sociology definitely because if you're told you're something yeah. a, a lot, um, you know I, I guess it can't help but rub off somewhat. Actually, I'm Sagittarian now, but who knows how much the um, that the various heavens have, have moved. It might maybe twenty five thousand years again uh, until you know I become is it Capricorn or whatever the next is it, one the adjacent over, yeah. star sign. But, <laughs> um, it's a running joke in my family between my father and I, who's who is a non wooer. That um, oh, so you're into the astrology, aren't you? Because of course I have a telescope and uh-huh. into astronomy, so it's a bit of a running joke around our house. You might want to do some research on that as well, because um, I'm Sagittarius, but uh, actually, if technically I'm Ophiuchus. Which is the the missing star sign? Aha! Uh-huh. So if you find out your dates, I think if you go to Wikipedia, the, the magical thirteenth sign. Yeah, there is. There's actually thirteen of them, and um, I'm I, I fall into right. Ophiuchus technically, but of course then that goes back one because of the precession of the equinoxes and God knows I don't know how the astrologers keep track of it to be honest. One thing uh, you can say about astrologers is that they're, they're not they're not stupid people. They a lot of complicated. A lot of complicated stuff they have to keep track of. Exactly, and then when you get into Chinese astrology, whoa, forget about it. They do say too, you don't need to be a fool to be fooled. Indeed, indeed. Um, anyone else got any questions? Anything else you want to mention while you're here, Justin? You've got a, a huge platform here of of anything up to ten or twelve listeners. A so, huge platform. Um, here's your here's That's your right, chance dozens for a of people box. can't be wrong. Well, if any of those dozens of people are interested in evolution, I have an application called iEvolve that's on the App Store. For, for those who don't like the iPhone, they're probably going to roll their eyes and go, bloody Apple fanboy. I'm already rolling my eyes right now. There, there are videos of that out there. If you hook up with my... I think that's one of my favourites on the Skeptius channel. I've got an Asteroids video there. What happens to my little virtual ants when asteroids uh, come to town? So, it, you know, the the purchase of the app is not necessary. You can come to my Skeptius channel and, and check that out. Um, that's something I'd like to spend a lot more time on, actually, um, is, uh, 
you know, be able to be able to update that app a lot more often. It's um, it's based on genetic ants that I was into many many years ago. I was almost going to do that for my masters and ended up doing it on a framework for virtual worlds. But um, it, it's something that interests me a great deal actually. How how readily uh, complex behaviour can can emerge. I mean, these ants are simple in the extreme. They perceive one pixel in front of them. You know, it could be food or water or rock, and they have a simple brain that maps that. Uh, you know, stimulus to some action, and that's pretty much all that's required. And within a number of generations, they're running around eating, um, exhibiting all sorts of amazing behaviour. So, I know the Trubies will never um, be convinced, but uh, it, I, I wrote it partly to show how easy it is for just even a simple system to, you know, uh, given the right conditions, to to emerge something quite complex. So, that that's another one of my passions is is evolution. You know from a very practical point of view, actually sort of making it happen in software. So that's called? Uh, it's called iEvolve. And there's an interesting story, by the way. I, I do have the, the, that app on the store, and the name's fine. I went to get the iEvolve.com domain. So mine is actually iveevolved.com, because iEvolve.com, quite ironically, is a woo site. It's like a spirituality woo site. So uh, I've been asked to remove some of my videos from some, not from YouTube, but from some of the video sharing sites, because it conflicts with their thing that they got going on, the, their iEvolve um, site. So it's, uh, it's interesting, but annoying. Mm. <laughs> and we'll put a uh, link to that as well in the um, show notes so that everyone can go and download it. Indeed. All the Apple drones can... I'm <laughs> there. <laughs> oh, you fit into that uh, category, obviously, of the, of the, uh, the fanboy haters. Indeed. Yes. Um, Oh, thank you very much, Justin. It's been very entertaining. You're most welcome. Anytime. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future, maybe. That'll be great. I'd be, be happy to come on again. Indeed. And on a personal note, I'd like to thank you for um, using the word I coined, which I've been trying to get people to take up. <laughs> Trubies. I, I wasn't even going to say great uh, word, by the way. I thought I'd just, just slip it in there as though it's... Oh, it's it's a common word around these parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Good luck, have fun, thank you very much. No worries. See you guys. Hi, I'm Paul Daniels, and you are listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. You'll like it. Not a lot, but you'll like it. Okay, now, something I've been meaning to do for the last few weeks. Um, Coming up in August, August the 13th to the 15th, is Fanfare Noise, uh, the New Zealand annual Skeptics Conference 2010. The uh, organisers of this conference, a uh, close personal friend of mine, um, my only friend you might say. Uh, it's going to be a good conference. There are a lot of very interesting speakers. Susan's going to be talking about immunisation and or specifically about MMR and Andrew Wakefield, who has been struck off the register officially. officially. We were going to talk about that in the news. The other thing, of course, that's happened recently in ongoing battles is Simon Singh. The case has been dropped. The BCA have turned tail and are now hiding under a rock. Uh, But, not to distract us from the important news, which is the New Zealand Skeptics Conference 2010. Now, if you want to come to the conference, you need to register, obviously. Uh, It is, and I should know this, but I'm going to go ahead and say $80 for... Uh, waged and sixty dollars for students, and then I think it's fifty dollars for the uh, for the banquet. Now the, that is worth it because not only do you get a fantastic menu, you're also going to be amazed and entertained by Wayne Rogers, who is a close personal friend of mine and an amazing mentalist. Uh, he is going to do some mind magic that will have you believing. <laughs> uh, I think that's unlikely. Oh, you you wait till you see him. He he will blow you away. I, I promise. So head along to skeptics.org.nz and click on conference, and then click on registration form. Fill out the form online, and don't post me a check because I hate checks. So do the direct banking, or this year you can pay by PayPal, which is quite clever. So it's all online. And when do registrations close? Uh, I don't know, day before, yeah. We'd like to see a lot of new people. So if you haven't been to a conference before, 
um, please come along. It's in Auckland, I should mention that, and it's at Butterfly Creek. Uh, Butterfly Creek is going to be quite a nice venue, and um, I don't know if we're advertising this as yet, but conference attendees get half-price tickets to get into Butterfly Creek. So once you've done the conference, you can go and um, feed the cro crocodiles and wrestle with butterflies and whatever it is that they do there. So conference, come along. Look forward to seeing you all there. And if you do come along, check out the cusp.org.nz. Have a look at our profile pages. When you come along to the conference, come and introduce yourself to us and uh, tell us that you listen to the cusp because we'd love to meet you all. You don't get a prize or anything? No prizes, no. <laughs> um, but we'll autograph something for you. Autograph your iPod or something. Which leaves us with the word of the day. And today's word of the day is gallimafry, and it is a mixture of different things, or a hodgepodge. Gallimafry. I thought the actual explanation was going to be a hodgepodge of things, but no, the definition is. <laughs> that is the definition of what a gallimafry is. Kind of does, yes. Also sounds a little bit like gallifry. Anyone? Anyone? Gallifry? No? That's where Doctor Who's from. You guys suck. Uh, okay. That's my word of the day, anyway. Craig, you got a quote? I do. This is from Roger Bacon. There are, in fact, four very significant stumbling blocks in the way of grasping the truth, which hinder every man, however learned, and scarcely allow anyone to, to win a clear title to wisdom, namely, the example of weak and unworthy authority, long-standing custom, the feeling of the ignorant crowd, and the hiding of our own ignorance while making a display of our apparent knowledge. Wow. It's just like a huge list of logical fallacies. I like it. All right. Thank you, everyone, this, for coming along. Not a problem. Thank you, Nathan. You've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you want to leave us any feedback or comments, visit our website at thecusp.org.nz. Yeah.